The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. I was uh, reading an interview of baseball legend and cancer survivor Ken Griffey Sr. a few weeks ago, and in it he said that when he finally revealed his prostate cancer diagnosis to a few male friends, he discovered that all of them had been diagnosed with prostate cancer, but none of them have told each other. Uh, I I couldn't believe it. All of them, I mean, you know, we're going to learn a lot about uh, prostate cancer on the show today. And at the cancer support community, we believe that no one should go through cancer alone. So from that moment, I knew I wanted to do a show on prostate cancer. And I'm so honored to have with us today Ken Griffey Sr. to talk about his journey uh, with prostate cancer. Um, baseball legend Ken Griffey Sr. played right field on the Cincinnati Reds, teams that won back-to-back World Series titles in 75 and 76. He is a three-time All-Star and was named All-Star Game MVP in 1980. He spent part of his final MLB season playing with his son, Hall of Famer Ken Griffey Jr. in Seattle in 1991. After his prostate cancer diagnosis, speaking up about the disease was difficult, especially when it came to telling his family. But Ken found his voice and shared the news. And now he hopes to inspire other men to do the same. He is a spokesperson for Bears Men Who Speak Up movement, which encourages men with advanced prostate cancer to know the symptoms of progressing disease and provides them with the tools they need to break the silence and talk to their doctor about symptoms they may be experiencing. Welcome to the show, Ken. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That was a, that was a very nice uh, introduction. Thank you. <laughs> all true, all true. And I'm just still kind of pinching myself a little that we're uh, that we're on the show, uh, radio show together today. It's a, just a real honor as a big baseball fan. Um, we also have with us uh, Dr. William O, an expert in the management of genitourinary malignancies, including prostate, renal, bladder, and testicular cancers. He's chief of the division of hematology and medical oncology and associate director. For clinical research for the Tisch Cancer Institute and the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, a leading investigator in the use of systemic treatments for prostate cancer. He has served as the principal investigator of multiple clinical trials in prostate and other GU cancers. Dr. O has served in key invited roles for the American Society of Clinical Oncology, the American Cancer Society, and the American Urological Association. He was inducted into the prestigious American Society for Clinical Investigation and has been repeatedly selected as a top doctor in New York Magazine, Castle Connolly, Best Doctors, 
and super doctors. And you are a super doctor. Thank you for being with us, Dr. O. Thank you, Kim. And thank you, Ken, for letting me join you today. Well, let's jump in here. We've got a lot to cover. Um, Ken, even before your diagnosis, you were pretty knowledgeable about prostate cancer because of your family's uh, history with the disease. Tell us about that history and how did it affect you and really your knowledge level about prostate cancer? Well, you know, the family history is that uh, my mother had four brothers who were lost mm-hmm. to prostate cancer. And that, that was the biggest, that was really the biggest start to uh, me being more aware of it. And she made us aware of it because she would talk about it all the time about she had lost her brothers to prostate cancer. And as I got older, you know, and uh, we, we usually have a year-long, well, once-a-year physical as being an athlete. Uh, that's what we did. So I would always talk about, the, you know, the prostate exam. And a lot, of, a lot of guys would be kidding around with it because of that. And, uh, you know, the f- funny part was the fact that, you know, I have grandkids now. We went to a, a seminar up in New- Newton, I think it was, Newtown, up in Mass, or I think it was either here in Pennsylvania. Mar- yeah, Marvell, yeah, uh, and uh, they would walk, run around talking about don't be afraid of the finger, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we would we would kid about that, but you know, to find out more information on that was a situation where my mother talked about it. Um, she made sure as we got older, we were aware of being, uh, you know, being um, prostate cancer free and all that. So. She's the one that really was the catalyst of me understanding and knowing more about or having to understand more about can, uh, prostate cancer as we went on, as I got older. Mm-hmm. So God bless those strong women in our lives. Um, yes. Ken, t- yes. tell, us, uh, tell us how your cancer was discovered. Were you experiencing symptoms? Was it an exam? How, did, how were you diagnosed? Well, it was a routine examination uh, back in 2006. Like I said, we always get... Um, examined, you know, being an athlete, and uh, it, it, was, it just came up, um, you know, that um, I had a PSA done with it. You know, the doctors thought, it, you know, the best thing would do was just to get a PSA. Mm-hmm. So when I got the PSA, my PSA had, had uh, jumped, and that's when, uh, you know, I, I was talking to some people, uh, actually to my doctor, and then I was just talking to my wife, and uh, I ended up getting a, a biopsy. And the first biopsy, you know, they took 11 specimens. And I end up, you know, they weren't really sure at that time. So they had to wait of a couple of months. And I had a second one, which they took 22 specimens. And that's when they found out I had prostate cancer. I had went to a couple of hospitals. I went to one up in De- uh, Detroit. And uh, mm-hmm. there was a medical center down in Orlando, Florida, I went to. And, you know, um, you know to find out and... No, that's how I found out I had prostate cancer. And so um, how were the doctors able to sort of definitively determine that you had prostate cancer? Because, again, we're going to get into with Dr. O, we want to talk about how it's diagnosed. And, and, and when you talk about PSA, we're going to break down what that is and help folks understand the different tests and things. But how, for you, did they de- de- definitively determine that well, you, in fact, had prostate cancer? Yeah, it was more on the specimens. Uh, being the day it taken 22, they examined them. And then when it came back positive, that's when they, you know, actually said that I had prostate cancer. So it was the biopsies that really uh, found out the m- most information on what my uh, prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. And then what was your treatment, Ken? My treatment, uh, I had surgery, uh, which was robotic surgery. I'd, 
looked around for a while for that because I wasn't sure. They gave me so many options. You know, uh, seating was one of them. Um, like I said, then you have the the radical surgery, and uh, then they came. They told me more about the uh, the um, robotic surgery, and mm. you know, they explained to me that the robotic surgery is probably going to be. Uh, the surgery in the future because it will try to save more nerves and endings and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I had a friend of mine tell me of, about a doctor in Ventura, Florida, uh, who did at that time had the most experience with uh, robotic surgery. And I, I went down there and talked to him, and uh, I was down there for about a week, 10 days, and then I ended up having the, the robotic surgery down there. I got it, got it, got it. And then after that, was there, were there other treatments, or did they say you were clear, or what, or what was your prognosis then? My prognosis was I didn't have to have radiation or chemotherapy. Uh, mm-hmm. They they knew they had gotten all of it. The biggest thing was the fact that they had gotten it early, and I think mm-hmm. that was the most important. When they found out, you know, I had prostate cancer, and they had found it early enough. Because, you know, in between the time I was diagnosed until uh, the time I had the surgery, it was almost... I say eight, I think almost 10 months, you know, wow. and wow. that was the difference when, but they said they found it early, and mm-hmm. I think that was the biggest reason is, you know, I didn't have to go through any chemo and all that is because they mm-hmm. got it got it at that point with, um, with the robotic surgery. Got it. Let's, it's maybe a good point to bring Dr. O into the conversation, Dr. O. Let's, let's, let's start with some basics. Can you tell our listeners what is prostate cancer, how many people are, uh, you know, affected by it. Let's, let's start with some basics here. Sure. So uh, only men have a prostate. Uh, we're not really sure what it's there for. We know that as you get older um, in men, the, the prostate can often enlarge. It's often benign enlargement, and it makes men go to the bathroom more often to urinate. Uh, but uh, at, at a certain level, it actually causes this increase in um, cancer rates, and that's, of course, one of the biggest concerns about prostate cancer. Um, I think that uh, basically the issue uh, is why do people get prostate cancer? Unfortunately, we still don't really know. Mm -hmm. Um, I can tell you that uh, it is the number one cancer in men in the United States by far, and it's the number two cause of cancer death in men in the United States. So it's really, unfortunately, as Ken said in his um, description of all of his friends, it's a, it's a cancer that really touches a lot of families, um, not just men, but their families, their their spouses, their caregivers, the people around mm-hmm. them, their loved ones. And so, so Doctor, we've got about three minutes until our first break here, but just tell our listeners. So Ken talked about screening, about PSA tests. So what are the ways to a screen for or look for prostate cancer? And then are there other, can men have symptoms or things that they should be kind of looking out for? Sure. So PSA screening in the United States has been somewhat controversial. Um, I think Ken's story is a very good example of how a PSA test basically saved his life. Um, and the way I described it when I was talking to him earlier uh, was that his uncles, the knowing the history and his uncles in particular, uh, was really important for him to be aware. A lot of patients in their families, they don't, they don't really talk about it within families, but we know prostate cancer is a disease which can, be, um, can run in families. So uh, the fact that he was screened was very, very appropriate and allowed him to catch the cancer really early. Most men in the United States who catch the cancer early actually have no symptoms. Um, they, they feel perfectly fine, and that's the time when you have the best prognosis. 
Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes men with prostate cancer can have trouble urinating. Um, if the cancer spreads, it can spread to places like the bone and they may have pain. The most important thing about uh, prostate cancer screening is really to talk to your primary care doctor and, or internist and, and ask them based on your history, based on your family history, based on your own symptoms, whether or not a PSA test would be useful. The other part is that, that they need to do a, an examination of the prostate, as, um, as Ken pointed out. That's not the most popular thing for guys to have a, what's called a digital rectal exam, a prostate exam. Um, it's really relatively uh, painless and, and very simple and can be done mm-hmm. in, in seconds in the doctor's office, and it's probably an important additional step. Mm-hmm. Terrific. Um, we are speaking today with sports legend Ken Griffey Sr. about uh, prostate cancer. We um, have a lot that we want to cover in the show today. We also have Dr. William O., who is an expert uh, in prostate cancer. We are uh, talking about how prostate cancer is uh, diagnosed what uh, what the screening is, and we're going to get into that a little bit more because, as, as Dr. O alluded to, there is sort of some controversy and and uh, sort of disagreement about about screening, about monitoring, and even about uh, you know, frankly, some of the different treatment options that are available to men uh, when they are diagnosed with uh, w- with prostate cancer. We're also going to talk to you a little bit more about some of the support services that we have at the cancer support community for uh, men with prostate cancer, for their families, for their loved ones, and and also about the importance that we talked with Ken about the importance of those strong women and, and loved ones and caregivers uh, in, uh, in, in men's lives. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help and many of the people in their lives want to help, but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains, sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar, to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MagnoliaB 
or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia, Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. You are listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by AstraZeneca and Lilly Oncology. I'm Kim Tibaldo. Today, we are breaking the silence surrounding prostate cancer with baseball great prostate cancer survivor, and spokesperson for Bears Men Who Speak Up program, Ken Griffey Sr. Also with us today, Dr. William O., Chief of the Division of Hematology and Medical Oncology at Mount Sinai. Uh, Dr. O., there's a lot of confusing information and terminology about prostate cancer, so I'm grateful to have you with us to help us get a handle on all this. I'll give you an example, a Google search of Prostate cancer pulls up references to prostate cancer, advanced prostate cancer, advancing prostate cancer, um, you know, using the simplest possible terms. What are we seeing there in those three as an example? Sure. Um, prostate cancer, uh, like most cancers, is described by where the uh, cancer started, in this case in the prostate, which is a normal organ between the bladder and the rectum in men. Uh, when the cancer is treated, like with surgery or radiation, as it was in, um, in Ken, uh, it can be cured and will never come back. That's always the goal, is to cure men with their prostate cancers if they have it. Um, but some patients, despite surgery or radiation or other treatments, unfortunately, the cancer may come back. That may only be about 20, 25% of the patients, but because it's such a common disease, that turns out to be a fairly large number. 
if the cancer comes back, those patients are, are really called advanced cancer patients. Usually they feel fine in the beginning, and it may take years for that to spread, for example, to other parts of the body. But unfortunately, uh, if it does spread to those other parts of the body, we have to use treatments like drugs, sometimes radiation, to treat those at more advanced sites. Um, and that's the, really the difference. Advancing really means that the cancer is growing or spreading. And again, the primary goal is always to avoid that as much as possible by taking care of the disease while it's still confined to the prostate, as it was successfully done in Ken. And when you say, Dr. O, when you say surgery, does that, does that generally mean removal of the prostate? Yes, that's, that's correct. Um, so right now, uh, the standard approach to, to treating the cancer is to either remove it surgically, removing the entire prostate and a little organ near it called a seminal vesicle. And in most centers now, it's being done with a robot. That doesn't mean that there's no doctor there. Actually, the surgeon is using <laughs> the robot um, to, to remove the gland, and, it, and he is able to do it with uh, much smaller incisions and with, with greater precision. Okay, so these doctors aren't worried about losing their jobs to automation, right? Uh, not quite yet. <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> um, Dr. O'Ken told us that he, in fact, didn't have any symptoms and that it was the PSA test that led doctors to investigate. So, uh, I, you know, and I know there's some, you know, mixed messages in the media about the, the, uh, the PSA test, but let's start by telling us what the PSA test is and how it works. Sure. Well, PSA stands for prostate-specific antigen, and the word antigen just means that it's a protein that floats in the blood. And um, it is a uh, blood test, a very simple blood test that um, may indicate that if it's very elevated that there uh, might be cancer being harbored in your prostate. The problem is that it's not cancer-specific. So it, it, the test is not called prostate cancer-specific antigen. Mm-hmm. It's prostate-specific antigen. So other things can make your PSA um, elevated. For example, uh, if you have sexual intercourse uh, a few days before you get a blood test, that might raise your PSA. Um, just an enlarged prostate can enra- uh, and, and raise your PSA. Um, and a, a very vigorous um, uh, workout on a bicycle might raise your PSA. So there are other things that might falsely raise a PSA, and that's why it's not a perfect test. Now, that said, as you said, there's a lot of mixed messages about this, and um, there are definitely people who, are, who benefit from the PSA test, but there may be some people where uh, the best uh, solution is not to have the test or to, um, uh, to not necessarily act on the test. What situations are those? Uh, for example, if a man is older and not in good health, uh, generally speaking, that's not a good situation to order a PSA test in. But if a person's going to be healthy, there should be a conversation about the pros and cons of PSA. And so in that vein, Dr. O, are there specific guidelines on who, like, for example, we know there are guidelines for when women should start getting a mammogram for breast cancer. Are there specific, you know, tre- uh, screening guidelines for prostate cancer that our yes. listeners should could know and be aware of? Yes. Um, Most of the major organizations, including the American College of Physicians, the American Urological Association, and the the government group that gives guidelines for uh, screening, all recommend discussion. Um, They do not recommend automatic screening PSA tests. So a lot of primary care doctors will not automatically do a PSA test. But in situations where, for example, the patient might have a family history of prostate cancer, 
um, and these are men between the ages of 50 and 70, or who are African-American, African-American patients, for example, have a higher risk of prostate cancer. Um, those are patients in particular, I think, that it's important to, uh, for the patient to really discuss with the doctor, with their doctor. But in the end, I think it always deserves a discussion. Mm-hmm. So, so what's the what's the risk in broader screening, Doctor O? Is that is it? You know, you sort of indicated that this is not a cancer screening test. So you're saying that if the numbers elevated, it could in fact be something else, and we might be doing biopsies and other things that are not necessary. Is that the risk? I mean, it seems that, like if the screening is saving lives, why not just do it more broadly? What's the uh, yeah. flip side of that? That that is one of the uh, issues, Kim. Uh, m- m- mostly, you have to do about. Uh, for every three biopsies you do, you'll find one cancer. That, that means there's a lot of men who are getting biopsies that don't have cancer that might have one of these benign explanations. So it's not a perfect test by that, by that um, criteria. The other is that, as I hinted earlier, uh, because prostate cancers, some of them may grow really slowly, sometimes you can diagnose it, but the person may not benefit um, how is that? Well, some cancers may take 10 or 15 or more years to grow. So if you're very ill and you're in your 90s, then a PSA test is absolutely not a good idea. But if you're a relatively healthy man, certainly in your 50s or 60s, um, it's something that I think most people understand that you should have a conversation with your doctor about the pros and cons of doing it. But that's basically the basis of that disagreement. So let me ask you this, and just for our listeners, we want to spend this time really breaking down the medical questions with Dr. O before we bring Ken back into the conversation to talk about his own story and experience and his family's story. We just want to get some of these medical questions answered because I think it's critical to really have a foundation for this conversation, and, and it you know, really is a tricky, tricky conversation um, to have. So Dr. O, let's say a man does get the PSA test, the number's elevated, there's some suspicion that it could be prostate cancer, then what? Well, if he's a patient who otherwise might benefit from treatment, um, I would normally recommend a biopsy. Um, And the reason I would recommend a biopsy is that what we've tried to do in this era of controversy is decouple a diagnosis of cancer from the treatment decision. And what I mean by that is um, there are some men who are actually diagnosed with cancer who have an elevated PSA where we do the biopsy. And as Ken said earlier, that's the definitive way we diagnose cancer. And there's not just one kind of prostate cancer. And this is the extra piece that's really complicated. Um, There's uh, really low-grade, slow-growing cancers, um, something we call Gleason 6. And they're really aggressive, fast-growing cancers. Those are Gleason 8, 9, and 10. They're given scores based on the way they look under a microscope. And so if you have an aggressive cancer, even if you're an older man, the best thing to do is to treat that cancer aggressively. In other words, fight fire with fire. If you have a low-grade, slow cancer that might take 15 years to grow, in some of those situations, we may not recommend actual treatment, and we may recommend something called active surveillance, where you follow the person really closely, but you don't necessarily do surgery or radiation. So it's important for the listeners to really understand that not all prostate cancers are made the same. Even though PSA is not a perfect test, the real issue is that if you get a biopsy, if your PSA is elevated and of concern, then then the biopsy can help you make a decision about whether you should do treatment or not. So, Dr. O, I think something that Ken said, and maybe we went over it too quickly, or our listeners might, might have really surprised our listeners, is that he was diagnosed but was not treated for months, he said. 
So, uh, you know, I think that, that, you know, we think, oh, my gosh, you're diagnosed with cancer. You've got to get treatment right away. You've got to get surgery. You've got to cut it out. You've got to, you know, radiate. You've got to get the chemo in there. Um, but it was months before his, uh, his surgery. Talk, talk about that. Yeah, um, I'm sure Ken was uh, knowing the kind of person he is, thinking about who he should go see. He was talking to his friends and colleagues, his primary doctor, and hearing about who the best in the country um, really was for him to go see. In most patients with prostate cancer, unlike lung cancer or pancreas cancer, where you do not have the luxury of time, in most situations with prostate cancer, if the cancer is the kind that I said that was a slower-growing one, you have the time to get those opinions. Um, I think it was a little bit longer than most patients might wait um, to, before finally getting definitive treatment, and, and maybe we can hear from Ken about why, um, mm-hmm. what, what he did during that time. But it's not uncommon for my patients to wait several months meet with different mm-hmm. types of doctors, surgeons, radiation doctors. They might meet with me and decide um, what the right treatment approach is. And, and I mm-hmm. do think that it's much more important for men to get these opinions, these second opinions, and learn a little bit more before they just go in and, you know, kind of have mm-hmm. the cancer uh, surgically removed by the first person that they see because that's not really mm-hmm. the only option they have. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Good to know that being really that educated and empowered patient is so critical, especially with prostate cancer. Doctor, oh, we only have a quick minute until our uh, until our break here. But what uh, we, you know, when we talk about sort of advanced cancer, the disease spreading, what what do you do to determine if the disease has spread? Well, in patients who have uh, more advanced features like those higher Gleason scores, we will check scans like a bone scan or an MRI of the mm-hmm. pelvis to look for evidence for that spread. We want to make sure it's not in the bone or in the lymph nodes, which are the two most common areas the cancer may spread. Um, and, in fact, uh, those are very effective at helping us know if the patient's a candidate for surgery or radiation. Excellent, excellent. Really great uh, medical overview, Dr. O. I really appreciate that and putting it in, in terms that all of us who are not medical folk can, um, can understand. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Uh, We are talking today with Ken Griffey Sr., uh, baseball legend, a prostate cancer uh, survivor. He's going to share a little bit more in just a moment about his own story. We also have Dr. William O. from Mount Sinai, who is a prostate cancer expert. We've got a lot more to cover. Great conversation. Don't go away. We will be right back. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. 
how to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Insight Corporation, NovoCure, and Taiho Oncology. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo. I'm thrilled to have with us today baseball legend and prostate cancer survivor Ken Griffey Sr. and Dr. William O., Chief of the Division of Hematology and Medical Oncology at Mount Sinai. Dr. O. has authored more than 250 original articles, reviews, and book chapters on topics relating to prostate, renal, bladder, and testicular cancers. He has edited three books on prostate cancer. Ken is a three-time All-Star and was named All-Star Game MVP in 1980. He is currently a spokesperson for Bears Men Who Speak Up movement, which encourages men with advanced prostate cancer to know the symptoms of progressing disease and provides them with the tools they need to break the silence and talk to their doctor about symptoms they may be experiencing. A friend of mine uh, sent me this quote, and it seemed... Just right for today's episode, a quote by uh, Vera Nazarian. It says, yawns are not the only infectious things out there besides germs. Giggles can spread from person to person, so can blushing. But maybe the most powerful infectious thing is the act of speaking the truth. And uh, that's really what this campaign is about. Ken, uh, you said that it was extremely difficult to tell people about your diagnosis and that it was particularly difficult to tell your son uh, Ken Jr., how were you finally able to find the courage to speak up, and how did you break the news to family? Well, it was a situation where, <clears throat> you know, I had found out, and I said, like I told you before, that the doctor said it was going to take a little time uh, in between. But at that same week, you know, both of us, my my ex-wife and myself, were diagnosed with cancer, and she was diagnosed with mm. colon cancer. Mm. And me and I had talked to my doctor and, and, and making sure that, you know, it's, not going to spread as fast. My situation was I wanted my son, Junior, and my youngest son, Craig, to talk to their mother, you know, first be with her because colon cancer was a little, little more advanced at that time, and I wanted, they, they had to take care of that right away. So I didn't say very much about myself, you know, in terms of the prostate cancer. So when he went and talked to his mom, that's when she told him about me having prostate cancer. Because he said, well, why didn't you talk to his dad? He just got diagnosed with prostate cancer. Well, I knew in a couple of weeks that I would probably end up seeing Junior. And where I seen Junior at was in Philadelphia when they were playing the Phillies. He was with the Reds. And I was here in town, and I went down and, uh, you know, went to the stadium, and I'm sitting there, and he comes in, and he says, well, why didn't you tell me 
well, what's wrong with you? I said, well, I didn't think it was that important because of the situation with your mom. So mm-hmm. it was difficult for me to talk about it, you know, and tell him exactly what's going on. But I've always talked to him when he was getting ready to get into that 35, 40 years old that, mm-hmm. you know, it's about time you looked at uh, having your prostate checked consistently because of your un- your great uncles, mm-hmm. your your, grand- your grandmother's brothers were that were diagnosed and died from prostate cancer. So that was mainly my situation was it wasn't that I have that much of a difficulty talking to him. It was just that, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted him to first be there for his mom, you know. And then when we sat down to talk, it was kind of a little, little hairy telling him about what I what I was getting ready to go through and, and all that. And I said, this is things you may have to look forward to. I, I don't want you to, but, you know, being that, it's a kind of a hereditary thing in our family. You know, we just have to make sure that, you, you know, you, you're being checked. And, and, you know, I talked to him about that, and that was the re- you know, the biggest thing was just having, that's when I was having little problems, you know, talking to him about prostate cancer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and was it different breaking the news to your family as it was to sort of your friends and your professional colleagues? I mean, obviously you're a legend, you're a high-profile guy. Was this... You know, how did it feel sort of letting the world know what was happening? Well, the the situation was, you know, first of all, I had to talk to my wife. And she was with me, uh, my new wife, Valerie, you know, she was with me every step of the way. Uh, She talked, she was in there, and we talked to the doctor. His name was Dr. Congrad down in Florida. But we sat there and we talked, and she found out, you know, a lot of information, and she was, there by myself. The family was the most important, so I talked to them. I had I, already gotten Junior out of the way and made sure made sure he was okay, then telling him that I would be all right, but it was just to talk to my wife, and she was, like I said, she was there 24-7, so she understood a lot, and she made sure that I was going to do what the doctors wanted me to do, you know, <laughs> and then finally when we had the surgery, she was right there, and I was going through a lot of changes, but the fun, the the thing, I, I guess, being an athlete, you promise things, and sometimes you know you 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 have to deliver or you want to deliver. And at the time I had uh, the, the the surgery in Florida, I had promised Orlando Morning that I'd be at his golf tournament, <laughs> mm-hmm. and my wife is still mad at me to this day. But <laughs> I had the surgery the next day. You know, with the catheter in and everything else, <laughs> I had went to Miami down to the Blue Monster, and I sat there for four hours signing autographs mm. for Alonzo morning. And a friend of mine finally decided, man, you got to get out of here and go back to the hospital. And that that's what I did. Four hours later, I went back, and my wife was very upset. But, you know, there's something, I, you know, I guess athletes, we trying to recognize each other or try to be there for each other. And that was one of the things that happened. But just talking to her, talking mm. to my my uh, brothers, you mm. know, because I, I still my younger brother had just had the surgery about two months ago. Now it's been almost two months, but he was he was in a different scenario. He had already had medication for swollen prostate, and he had been swollen prostate, and he had been taking that for like years, mm. and it finally came to a point where the medication was at its max. And the doctor told him his PSA is starting to climb or, or it did go up, and that's when he decided to have the surgery. So he went through some changes, but he had somebody to talk to when he started finding out this information. I was able to 
tell him step for step what was going to transpire, what was going to happen. It made it a little mm-hmm. easier for him, you know. And um, you know, he uh, he's doing real well now. He's doing fine. Well, you know, good for you for being that friend and, and, and advocate and helping, you know, helping helping folks along. And I know that's what you're doing through this campaign uh, as well, Ken. And, I, you know, I, I know that, uh, you know, we talked about your golfing with your buddies and that, you know, every other guy had prostate cancer. And were you surprised by that? I mean, why do you think men aren't talking about this? You know, I think it's more, you know, being an athlete and stuff, I think it's more of a macho thing. It's so much... And talking about ED, uh, erectile mm-hmm. dysfunction, and all that stuff, where you know they they just can't have uh, sex anymore, or you know things of that nature. And I think that's the biggest problem that men will not talk about it because they don't want to be embarrassed, uh, saying they can't do, they can't perform in bed, and all this kind of stuff. So that is that's to me, you know, was was kind of ironic because what I was thinking, you know, when I found out I had prostate cancer, I have. I have 18 grandkids, and oh, I wanted to gosh. see all of them, you know, at least go to high school and graduate and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff and play some type of sport. And my my thing was I, I didn't worry about that. And I, like I said, I still had the support from my wife, Valerie, who was there 24-7, and she understood what, you know, what I explained to her is I want to be able to see all the grandkids. And so far I've gotten to see five or six of them in college. And, you know, I still mm. got the younger half. You know, they're, they're still in high school and below down in elementary mm-hmm. school. But I want to be there for them. I want to be there to help as much as I possibly know. Those are the reasons why I wanted to be around, you know, um, yeah, when, when I was first, when I got diagnosed. And then we went through all the changes about how we should go about it and the surgery in that, in that case. So that's where I, I stand right now. But the, the process with... With men who speak up has just been outstanding. We've been getting great reviews and all that, you know, going to city to city, getting the opportunity to talk to people and um, about men who speak up, and which, which is more about advanced prostate cancer than anything. Um, you know, with the website, menwhospeakup.com, you'll find all the information about advanced prostate cancer. But we've had so, so many people talk to us about just prostate cancer in general. Like I said, I was diagnosed early, and it was mm-hmm. you know I was on you know like I say you get diagnosed early, it's pretty much if you 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 can be cured. But mm-hmm. the the whole thing is just talking, getting men to talk about. It. Like I said, I, my best friends, all of them had prostate cancer. Not one of them told me, and I've been playing golf with them for four or five years. Mm-hmm. And when I they found out I had prostate cancer, that's when they start talking about it more. You know about the seating, and that's when I start finding out what which way to go and who, where am I going to be at from that in that category? What what doctors and all that and like and I had another friend who played for the Steelers that told me about some different doctors that he had looked into and found out you know which one was the right one for him, and so that that's where I, I stood and that's where I was um, getting to when I, you know uh, where was I going to have the surgery and all that, but. Men who speak out was was the best thing I think that ever happened to me in terms of mm-hmm. getting that, being able to get the word out, going from city to city, talking to different people. I've talked to people that you know lost their fathers, uh, yeah. their uncles, and all those things, and and just being able to just kind of give them encouragement. I have one friend that's from uh, he's from uh, Joliet, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And he's had advanced prostate cancer, and uh, we, you know, I call him to find out how he's doing. They have so many different 
uh, I guess, medicine and medications yeah. now to kind yeah. of help people through it, you know, now. But mm-hmm. I call him to see how he's doing. I call him like once or twice a, uh, a month to see what's, mm-hmm. where he's at, how he's been feeling. And, uh, you know, and I talked to him about, uh, I guess, about three weeks ago, and he's, he seemed to be all right. He says has some setbacks, but, you know, this just gives me an opportunity to, to just give out, you know, give the mm-hmm. people and, you know, tell them how I yeah. feel or how they're feeling and, you know, just to let them know that I'm there for them all yeah. the time. Good for you. Good for you. And it's so important to have that that role as, as, as you know, as, as advocate and as spokesperson and as as, as friend, uh, you know, in in, uh, in that role. We're talking to baseball legend and cancer survivor Ken Griffey Sr. Um, you know, again, it's such an honor uh, to be with Ken on the show today. Uh, I'm a, as a huge baseball fan. He's forgiven me the fact that I'm from Philadelphia. Um, and uh, <laughs> we've been uh, having some, some good chats. I'm some not good holding chat. that against you. <laughs> yeah, uh, you cannot hold that against me. You know we're tried not, and true no. fans, you, Ken. We're hey, tried this, and true fans in Philly. I've been here in Langhorne. I find out how many Philadelphia fans there are. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We're everywhere. You can't. You can yeah. run, but you can't hide from you, those you Philadelphia sports fans. <laughs> this is this is frankly speaking about cancer. Uh, we've got more to cover with uh, with Ken and with Doctor O. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Bristol-Myers Squibb, Celgene Corporation, EMD Serono, and Takeda Oncology. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo. We've been talking today about prostate cancer. With us today are Dr. William O., 
Chief of the Division of Hematology and Medical Oncology at Mount Sinai, and baseball legend and cancer survivor Ken Griffey Sr. Um, we're coming into the uh, end of our show, but Dr. O, I just want our listeners to have a sense. We, you know, Ken talked a little bit about the sort of robotic uh, surgery. We know that you know surgery can be a treatment option for prostate cancer. What are some of the other treatments that patients may experience depending upon the you know the uh, the the level or severity of the disease? If you have localized prostate cancer, Kim, you can have surgery or various forms of radiation. There's seed implants or external beam radiation. And as I mentioned earlier, there are some patients who may do active surveillance where they may not do immediate treatment and they just may be monitored. Um, The real issue is that uh, a subset of those patients, unfortunately, will not be cured. The majority will be if there's cancer is caught early enough, but if the cancer comes back, which may occur in about maybe 20 to 30 percent of patients, um, those cancers may spread to other parts of the body. And there, we actually do have a lot of new treatments that have been approved over the last six years now. Uh, it's a very active area of research, and there are many new promising drugs that really are both reducing the symptoms of cancer, but also keeping these men alive longer, even if the cancer comes back after surgery or radiation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Dr. O, I just want to ask you, uh, you know, the data shows that African-American men experience higher rates of both incidence and mortality, death rates from prostate cancer than, uh, than other men. Do we know why? Well, it's true, and the answer, short answer is we don't. Um, African-Americans have the highest risk of prostate cancer and fatal prostate cancer in the world. Uh, it seems to have a much more aggressive behavior. Maybe There may be uh, environmental factors. There may be something about, um, about um, their genetics. Uh, that's something that's been studied. Unfortunately, there's no such thing as a prostate cancer gene. Many people have heard of BRCA1 and BRCA2, the breast cancer genes, mm-hmm. uh, because of Angelina Jolie, but there's no equivalent in prostate cancer. And so we don't fully understand why African-American men have these higher rates and more aggressive types of cancer. And and that's why, in fact, as a population, um, they're the best candidates really for aggressive screening and early treatment. Um, Yeah, I appreciate, um, you know, I I know that this is something that is being studied and hopefully there's going to be some more information and some uh, better answers to that question. Um, Ken, take a moment to tell us about Bears Men Who Speak Up Initiative, why you chose to um, get involved and where folks can learn more about that program. Well, talking about the situation with men who speak up, to me it was a no-brainer in terms of getting involved with it because of the fact I was I was going to be able to sit down, talk to people, and just talk about them talking to the doctors, which, you know, getting back, alluding to the question before about African-Americans having problems, a lot of African-Americans just don't go to the doctors. Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons why there's so so high of a fatality rate with them is because of the fact they don't talk about it, they don't go to the doctors, and they're they're proud, you know, and they don't want to be talking about certain things, I guess we say, below the belt. But yeah, yeah. Men Speak Up Initiative, you know, um, campaign was mainly the biggest reason is because I was I've been able to sit down, talk to people, talk to women, talk to men, uh, especially the men, to get them to go to the doctors, to communicate with the doctors, find out what their symptoms are in order to fight what they they may have to fight in the future. But it, the biggest thing is just to sit down, talk to them, get them to talk about it and get them to talk to their doctors. And those are the most important things for me. And I, and I have, like I said, I've enjoyed this whole last, this past summer 
because mm. we went to, I think, nine or ten different uh, scenarios in terms of uh, walk, run, um, events all over the country, and I've met so many people, and, and, you know, a lot of them are not afraid to talk about it, and some of them are still kind of a little leery to talk about it, but just, you know, to see me up there and talking about men uh, men who speak up pro, um, campaign and then talking about prostate cancer, it gives them some incentive to talk to their neighbors or, or their best friends or whatever just to talk about prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. And the the uh, if I'm correct, Ken, the website is www.menwhospeakup.com, correct? Yes. yes. Terrific. So we encourage folks to certainly visit that site, learn more about Ken's story, find some of the tools and resources that are available uh, for you. Um, you know, Dr. O, Ken really credits his mother for, for his uh, uh, vigilance and talked about the important role that his uh, that his wife has played in his uh, in his health and wellness and and um, can you just say a word, Doctor O, about the importance of of men and women being educated about prostate cancer? What role are are do you see women playing in this disease? Well, I don't want to be too sexist here, but I've taken care of male patients for many many years, and in general. Men are behind women in terms of being aware and proactive about their health. You know, as Ken points out, a lot of the, not just athletes, but the average guy is, mm. you know, uh, feels like he has to be stoic and take care of the rest of the family and be a provider and, and caregiver to others. So many men have trouble, I think, culturally um, wanting to take care of themselves and going to the doctor and, mm-hmm. and, and, and really expressing their uh, health and concern issues. And, and I think um, there are women in all of these guys' lives, um, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a spouse or a mother or daughter. And very often when I see patients um, uh, in, in my clinic, it's the women who are asking a lot of the questions and who are bringing up symptoms and other issues. And, and I think men have come a long way. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, Ken sees it too. Uh, men are much more willing to talk about their health than they used to be. Um, but I think that still, I think it's a partnership. In many families, it's a partnership. And, and I think uh, even people listening to this program, many women who are listening mm-hmm. to the program, they may be the ones who are able to really help their loved one, their you know, husband or, or son, to really get uh, uh, attention to, their, um, to may, any issues that might be related to prostate cancer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's so. I think that's so true, and we see uh, in many cancers women as uh, as the, the the drivers, the decision makers, the advocates uh, for their loved ones. Um, so we you know appreciate that, and and uh, I'm sure we have uh, as many or if not more women listening today than we do men. And so we want to encourage you to have awareness on this issue, to be enlightened, encouraged, empowered by the conversation today. I want to thank Ken and Dr. O for coming onto the show, sharing. Uh, your knowledge and um, tremendous uh, expertise. It's been enlightening. I feel like we could just go on for uh, for, for hours um, uh, with the conversation. I'm a little bit sad that we're at the end of the show, but um, I want to thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. And I also want to remind our listeners about uh, all of the free services that we have at the Cancer Support Community. We have 50 centers around the United States where we provide support groups Uh, educational programs, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction. Uh, These programs are free of charge for people with all cancers, including prostate cancer, and for the caregivers and and loved ones and support folks of uh, people who are dealing with with a cancer diagnosis. So we welcome you to uh, take advantage of those programs. Visit our website at cancersupportcommunity.org. You can see a list of our centers around the country. Um, and uh, learn about uh, all of our free programs and, and uh, educational programs 
programs and services that we have available uh, to you. We also want to let folks know about our helpline. We actually have a team of wonderful trained counselors who are manning and, and womaning our helpline even right now. You could call us at 888 If you're grabbing a pen for that number, I'll say it again. It's 888-793-9355. To speak to one of our counselors, whether you're struggling with the diagnosis, whether you're the the patient, the loved one, if you need some help with decision-making, if you're having challenges with finances, with paying for your care, uh, a whole host of free counseling and navigation services available uh, through that helpline. So we encourage you to visit us. Visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Again, I thank our wonderful guests for being on the show today, and I thank our listeners for uh, being with us. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. support community.org.